Our series On Location continues with another conversation with a recent guest of the Indiana University Cinema, filmmaker Steve James. James is the director of many films, including the critically acclaimed documentaries Hoop Dreams, Stevie, and The Interrupters. Steve James' most recent film is Life Itself. The documentary is an adaptation and an expansion of the memoir by film critic Roger Ebert. Ebert was best known for co-hosting the TV show At the Movies with Gene Siskel. As James began making the film, Ebert noted that his hip was sore. It turned out that his cancer had returned. Ebert passed away while the film was being shot. The film explores Ebert's life, but it also creates an intimate portrait of a brave man facing death. WFIU's James Gray spoke with director Steve James during his visit to the IU Cinema in October 2014. How well did you know Ebert before making the film? I didn't know him well at all. You, you know, I, I had read his reviews when I started to really study film because I was in southern Illinois, and so I saw the show, tripped across it, and started watching it and was fascinated with it and, and enjoyed it. Then when I moved to Chicago, I started reading him. And then when Hoop Dreams came out, he and Gene did this extraordinary thing, really. They agreed to watch this three-hour documentary, even though it had no distribution. It was just going to Sundance. And they watched it, and they you know, they loved it so much that they decided to go on their show and review it, even though it was not in distribution. And they said as much and said and made a plug for this film deserves to be in theaters, which was huge for that film because it, it was a three-hour documentary about two kids and their families that no one had ever heard of. That's how I kind of first, in a way, met them. And and then over the years, a couple of times he interviewed me about movies or because we both were in Chicago, I would run into him at some event, a film event or such. And I was it was always very friendly and courteous. And then I would scurry away because I really believed that he being a film critic and me being a filmmaker, that we're not supposed to fraternize. Uh, so I didn't really know know him well at all. And so when the opportunity came along to do this film, the idea was presented to me. Uh, I hadn't read the memoir. And so I quickly read the memoir. And I just thought, what an amazing book. What a beautiful book. And so then I said, yes, I'd love to do this. And so really the making of the film was the chance to really get to know Roger. When you read the book, did you think there's something missing that I want to show in the film? Yes. There was a lot in the book, and there's a lot in the book I would have loved to put in the film that I didn't. But it was a great template, more than a template. It was like a Bible for the movie. And, I mean, it's why we say it's based on the memoir, and it truly is. But the one thing that he did not deal with in any great length and depth was the show with Gene. He has a chapter devoted to Gene, and he talks about things that happened on the show but he really doesn't dig in. And I knew that that was something that I really wanted to dig into. There was this great oral history done by Josh Schollmeyer called Enemies, A Love Story. The, in its fullest version, it's like a 20,000-word oral history. Uh, we brought Josh on as a co-producer, terrific guy, terrific piece he did. And that piece that he did became the template and basis for really um, digging in in depth into the relationship between Gene and Roger and how the show was born and 
changed and impact that it had. Yeah. The relationship, though, is so much a part of his personal life, as you see in the film, because the two get along almost like like family. There's this... Yeah. There's this... Or don't get along like family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, as people remark in the film, it was like a sibling rivalry. Both of them would readily have admitted this. There was clearly an underlying respect for each other's knowledge, intelligence, and, uh, you know, debating ability. These were two guys that were used to always being the smartest guys in the room when it came to film, and here they were both in the same room. These were two guys who came from very different backgrounds. Both uh, had their share of, of sort of tragedy. Gene lost both his parents when he was young and ended up living with his aunt and uncle and her kids. But he also was in a in a you know a better situation economically he lived on the north shore of chicago he went to yale roger always wanted to go to an ivy league school could have gone academically but his family couldn't afford it so he ended up at u of i gene ended up at the tribune which was the blue blood republican um you know paper roger ended up at the people's paper the sun times you know so they they had lots of differences about them that could rub each other wrong. Um, but they really were like, yeah, they were like these intensely competitive brothers. And when he when he did pass, he didn't tell Roger. Yeah, he, when Gene came down with the, when they discovered the brain tumor uh, that led to his passing, they didn't tell anybody. I mean, Gene and his wife Marlene, Marlene's in the film and she's a hugely important voice in this movie. She talks about in the movie about how they didn't tell anyone. Only the most immediate family knew. They didn't even tell their kids because, as as Marlene explains, they didn't want the kids to be watching the clock and looking at their father like, when is he going to die? And they also, because Gene was famous, a famous film critic, they didn't want it to turn into this kind of huge national story. I totally understand all of that. Totally understand all of that. They They made a decision to keep it as private as possible. But it did really hurt Roger's feelings because Roger had been working with Gene all these years. He could see that something was wrong with him, you know. I mean, everyone could tell that Gene was sick. They just didn't know what was going on or how serious it was. And so, yeah, it did hurt Roger's feelings that he wasn't told. And it, it prompted him, as, we, as you learn in the film from Roger's wife, Chaz, it prompted Roger to make a decision that should you know, serious illness befall him, which it did, that he was going to deal with it in a different way. Well, he was certainly going to share it more with the people they knew and were close to them. But it also led, I think, to Roger making a decision to kind of wage his battle with all the cancer that he struggled with in a more public way, which I thought was incredibly courageous. Did he change your view of death? Oh, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, think about mortality in, in any kind of deep way. I think about getting old, but not death yet. That, that's yet to come. But given the way I've viewed getting old, I think I can definitely learn from <laughs> Roger about facing the inevitable. We learn early in the film that Roger wrote at the speed of typing that he could knock out a review that was fully thought out and beautifully constructed in 30 minutes which would make him the envy of just about every critic out there, he, you know, and that he was very, very fast typer. He was an old-style 
reporter hunting and pecking for the keys, but he was so fast at it, it didn't matter. You see him in these later scenes of his life. His typing is very, very slow. But yet, it didn't stop him. He's still doing those reviews dutifully, watching those movies, and doing what he had done for 50 years. And there's something quite inspiring about that as well. Steve James visited the Indiana University Cinema in October 2014 as part of the Jorgensen Guest Filmmakers Lecture Series. Tune in for more stories with guests of the IU Cinema as a part of our series On Location.